Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini and in this episode we're talking about medical advocacy. Now every parent of a special needs child always has a medical issue that needs to be dealt with. Whether it's an immediate on birth or something that comes up later on or whether it's finding the right doctor, the right specialist, it can seem like you're visiting a doctor's office in a hospital as often as you visit your relatives or other family members, sometimes even more often. Now, negotiating through the current medical landscape in the United States can be really tricky. It seems like the more specialized our health care becomes, the harder it is for patients to understand what exactly is going on and how their health care is being handled. And unfortunately, that can result in bad medical decisions, poor outcomes, and sometimes even lawsuits over health care situations, not to mention the huge amount of stress for families when they're trying to get the right answers. Well, this is when some families turn to professional patient advocacy services. Now, these are companies who work privately for the families and provide answers and assistance in dealing with hospitals and doctors and nurses. And one such advocacy group is called North Shore Patient Advocacy, and they're based in Chicago. And in this episode, I spoke to their founder and president, Terry Dreher, who's a licensed registered nurse and has years of experience in patient advocacy. And we talked about some of the problems that patients encounter in all the areas of the medical industry and how advocates like her can help. But I started off by asking Terry about her background and how she became interested in becoming a patient advocate. Well, I was an ICU nurse for 39 years before I became a professional patient advocate. And the last 10 years, I just started seeing a lot of changes in the health care that um, brought um, more of the focus on to computer work and documentation and less and less time nurses were able to spend with patients. And that's always what I wanted to do as an ICU nurse is to provide comprehensive, holistic care to one or two patients every day in ICU. And I loved that. So when um, the the changes in healthcare started happening so that uh, the computer was the central um, focus. I became less happy, and I saw um, that things were just becoming a lot more fast-paced, and I was very concerned about patient safety. And then our family went through a crisis where my father-in-law almost died um, on a cruise ship. Fortunately, I was with him, and I got to see what the inside of healthcare looked like from a family's perspective, and it was, it was rather shocking. And um, multiple opportunities of um, near-death experiences, medical error, um, just um, things being missed, um, allergic reactions, bleeding complications, and everything. It just made me realize that unless somebody has a nurse or a doctor in the family and can ask the appropriate questions, that patients are really at risk um, today. And then I also, um, when I came back to work after this six-week ordeal with my father-in-law, who did fortunately make it through, I almost got fired for strongly advocating for a patient in ICU, and that was kind of the last straw for me. I realized that that it's not completely safe for um, nurses or employees of hospitals to go up against um doctors and raise red flags. So um, I did not get fired, but it made me um, just rethink my career. And moving into private professional advocacy has been the greatest, uh, best decision I've ever made in my career. I just absolutely love helping save people's lives and money and aggravation and 
and everything in the private sector. All right, well, let's talk about that then. What exactly does a patient advocate do for their clients? Well, it depends on the educational and um, clinical background that people have or do not have. Right now in America, there are a lot of people getting into the private advocacy um, field, and it's a quickly growing field. Not all of them are nurses or doctors. So nurses and doctors obviously can help um, with um, people that have complex um, medical comorbidities um, much more easily than non-clinical people um, have. My company only hires people, nurses with their master's degree or above, and at least 20 years of clinical experience because I think there's a lot of value in work, having worked inside the healthcare system. You not only know what good medicine looks like, you know how to um, interface with with doctors and nurses in the hospital, risk management departments, administration, and everything. And so that, for our company, is our um, value proposition that we bring a lot of clinical experience to the table. But if people only need advocacy in insurance areas or um, lower-level acuity issues, there are some fine social workers out there. There are people that that have simply learned to navigate um, the healthcare system through crisis with, within their own families who do um, an adequate job with that type of clientele. Um, our company likes to have the highest level so we can um, take care of all of those areas. And I do find that it's very helpful to have a nurse advocate on your behalf with insurance and billing issues because we know how to do insurance appeals. We know how to talk the language <laughs> so that they see when patient safety is being compromised and things like that. So we've had some really great successes in that arena too. Right, right. Well, I know that's a, a lot of people, and it's not just patients, but also even people in the medical profession are saying that with hospitals becoming more and more corporatized, there's less uh, interaction with patients and more of an emphasis on just increasing quantity. And that's a worrisome trend because um, it just makes sense to me as an ICU nurse that when you take nurses and doctors away from the patient's bedside, you're not going to get safer or better quality care. And um, I really empathize with patients that are frustrated with the healthcare system right now. The corporate focus is on patient satisfaction, but um, it's kind of a uh, catch-22 because uh, there's so much paperwork and doctors and nurses are so focused on making the patient happy. Sometimes they don't feel that they can really make the best medical decisions because um, it's not always going to make people happy if you don't give them what they came in wanting to get. So I, I've been talking to doctors lately that are just really, really frustrated that they can't make uh, all the decisions that are in the best interest of the patient when they're also worried about what their patient satisfaction scores are going to be because doctors are leaving the hospital um, when they have lower patient satisfaction scores. And, and nice is not only competent, and competent is not always nice. So um, I tell people you really have to be savvy about picking up quality positions that you can trust with um, life-saving um, health care. Yeah. Well, what are some of the common problems that people encounter with medical professionals when you are called in to help out? Well, 
one of the things that we're seeing with uh, a lot of seniors, particularly right now, is that um, doctors don't look them in the eye. They only want to spend five to seven minutes with them in emergency rooms and physician um, visits, and the whole time they're talking to them, they're looking at their computer. So that depersonalization is um, very hard for older people. They feel that they're not being treated as a valuable human being, and um, it's, it's a trend that, um, that is disturbing. Um, medical professionals are so busy in the hospital right now that they're always running from one thing to another, so patients don't get as much education as they used to. They don't have people sit down and hold their hand and look in their eyes and, and really hear um, the emotional and physical pain they're going through. Um, it's, it's much more corporatized, as you say. Now, um, you know, a lot of your practice, of course, is with elderly patients, but you also work with uh, parents of special needs kids and help to advocate for that. What should parents keep in mind when they're looking for a doctor or a specialist for their special needs child? Well, it has to be um, people really need to research um, what what the specialty is and, and know how to um, get quality referrals. Unfortunately, most people ask their neighbors or people in their church for referrals, and the general public generally um, refers people that are um, nice, but they don't really know if they're at the top of their game. So I always um, say that you go for competence first, but then when you go and interview the doctor on the first point of contact, you need to um, understand what their successes have been with children with similar challenges. So um, there needs to be a good um, uh, feeling or instinct when you meet the physician that they really care about your child. You want to ask how responsive they are, what would happen if the child started to develop uh, respiratory problems at home, um, what their resources are, what their hospital affiliations are, and unfortunately not always um, is it true that the big university hospitals are the highest care. Sometimes they're, they're um, faster paced than ever. So you really need to know how available the doctor is or the nurse practitioner or physician assistant if they work closely together. And um, you need to find a specialist that has a, a compassion and an understanding for the challenges of not only the child, but the parents and the the parents can develop a a real level of trust for that specialist. That's great, and that is really important, too, because I've noticed sometimes when you go to see a doctor, uh, they don't even talk to you. They just start right in with an exam, and that isn't always the best way to do it. Right. Now, sometimes people might worry that if they bring an advocate into a doctor's office or a hospital, that the medical professionals will be offended or react badly, and I have to tell you that happens a lot in the education field, when yeah. parents bring special ed advocates into meetings with school administrations, that can turn badly. Now, does this happen also with uh, medical situations? Not as much as one might think. When we go into a hospital, um, first of all, they can't really refuse to give us documentation because medical records are um, legally the property of the patient or the the. Um, parents of the patient. So they can't refuse to give that information. Sometimes they will say, um, if you want the medical records, you have to wait two weeks after the patient's discharge to get the full records and you have to pay for them. 
and everything. But generally when we go in, we go in with a very collaborative approach. Um, we understand what they're going through. We understand how difficult working in hospitals are. We like doctors. We like nurses. We like um, hospitals. And we understand very well the pressure that they're working under right now. So we go in and generally, if they have not worked with a patient advocate before, I tell them to look at us like transitional care managers. We're going to make their job easier by following the patient after the patient leaves the hospital and making sure that they're watched over very carefully, make sure that there's an extra layer of um, emotional support, teaching, family support. Quite often when we go into a hospital, there's a, a real communication breakdown that has happened somehow, and they contact our company because they're afraid. They're not getting all the information that they need. Um, nobody's really teaching or explaining the options. They don't really have a trusting relationship with them. So when we go in and go through the records and assess what's going on, if we come down um, and sit down with them and explain things in a way that they can understand, they will quite often be more likely to believe us because they're actually paying us. And some of the high-maintenance families um, that really need a lot of support, the hospital staff is only too happy to have us be there and take some of the pressure off of them. So we work very collaboratively. We're not there for any legal reason. and We just tell them what our role is. Our role is to provide extra teaching, support, ask all the right questions. And um, we, because of our clinical experience, we can walk into an intensive care room, for instance, and notice 25 things that a family member or a layperson would not notice. So then we go over and and start talking to the nurse or the, the doctor in medical language, and they get it right away, that we know what's going on. They're usually very forthcoming with us. It's all about relationship development. No matter what we, we do, whether it's with the patient and family or with the hospital, we want to develop really positive, collaborative um, uh, relationships. And everybody that I've met so far, doctors and nurses in the hospitals, all say, oh, my gosh, this is the best idea ever because they know what's going on inside right. of, of uh, modern health care and they know that families need help today. Right, and they're not always able to do it because of whatever pressures are being put on them. Right. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. It's too bad that so many other situations like that are not as collaborative, but I think that's reflective as to why businesses like yours need to come on. Yes. Yeah. Now, another concern for a lot of parents uh, is insurance companies and hospitals offering their own in-house advocacy services. What would be the difference between those services and then hiring a professional group outside, such as uh, North Shore Patient Advocates? One word, allegiance. Mm -hmm. um, it's an oxymoron to think that insurance company um, patient advocates are really advocating for the patient. They're there to save money for the insurance company. They will be nice, they will be helpful, but the bottom line is that it's their job to save money for the insurance company. So they're not working for the um, patient or the patient's family. Um, and hospitals, um, the patient advocates in hospitals quite often are not even nurses. They are often high school graduates or people that have uh, marketing degrees or, um, or sociology um, degrees, they might be social workers, and their job is to smooth ruffled feathers. Mm -hmm. 
they work for the risk management department of the hospital, and their job is to prevent the hospital being sued. They are not real patient advocates. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, yeah, they're looking out for themselves, and uh, they're not necessarily with the patients. Right. When you're getting a paycheck from an insurance company or a hospital, you are not a real patient advocate because a true patient advocate only has one line of allegiance. You don't have divided um, lines of allegiance. You work um, for the patient because the patient is paying you. So um, it's a very clear, um, crisp line of allegiance. Right, right. Now let's talk about uh, uh, specialists for a minute because a lot of parents of special needs kids wind up eventually having to take their child to see a specialist, and a concern is that the specialist isn't always approved by health insurance. So what can patient or what can parents rather do in advance to make certain that they're not going to be surprised by a huge medical bill? Well, the first thing is to be proactive. Know who's in your network because the networks are changing all the time. So um, if a specialist has been recommended, my first course of action would be to go on the insurance company website and make sure that that specialist is approved. Now, we have had um, certain situations where an insurance company will say that um, X or Y doctor is in their network and then come back later and say, oh, no, that person's out of network. They moved out of network. Well, we can appeal that because um, they keep records of everything at the insurance company. So if you talk to an insurance company um, or go on the website, print off the sheet that says that that specialist is in the network, or if you talk to somebody, get that person's name um, and their extension number so you can always go back because insurance companies keep telephone records of every single phone call. So you can always request those phone calls to be brought up to verify that that specialist was approved. So the best thing um, anybody can do is to make sure before you ever go to the first uh, visit that you have confirmation that that physician is in network. The physician's office will often be able to tell you if they're in network, but I would also check with the insurance company just to verify. Okay. Now, one of the things that is that everyone always talks about, of course, is uh, patient rights and all that sort of thing. And we hear it sometimes even being used against us. So <laughs> one of the questions I thought I'd ask is, what are the main rights of patients that uh, a parent of a special needs child needs to keep in mind? Well, whether the, it's a child or an adult, there is um, a document out there. People can Google um, Illinois patient rights, um, basically patient rights all over the country are for um, clear information, know what their options are. Um, It is their right to have adequate pain control. So if people are uncomfortable, nauseated, or in pain, it is a patient right to, um, to have adequate pain control. It is a patient right to be treated respectfully. Um, and um, to have their protected health information kept um, secure. Um, There's a long, comprehensive list of patient rights um, that people can Google and and find out what the entire list is. But most people just, um, when a doctor walks in and says something very confidently to them, um, sometimes people just take that like the doctor knows what's best and what their rights are. Um, They have a right to have access to all of their their information and their chart, but hospitals will never tell you that because they really don't want 
um, patients and families to have access to all the medical records. Um, but um, it's everybody's right to be treated respectfully and with high, the highest quality care and to be kept informed at all time of any changes. Yeah, I think sometimes maybe they don't want you to know about uh, access to the medical records because it costs a lot of money to print those out. Well, it's not only a lot of money. It's that uh, lay people will misinterpret things in the chart. And occasionally you can see nurses or doctors charting um, things that aren't completely um, complementary to a family that's upset or something. So um, they want to be very careful. Like nurses will often document when people are displaying abnormal psychiatric uh, symptoms. And um, that, that's a real red flag that patients definitely don't like people commenting on their emotional state or psychological state in, in documentation. Right. And, of course, there's a lot of jargon and, and acronyms and things like that, too. Yeah. Hard to keep track of. Um, now, I noticed on your website that you uh, also provide advocacy for alternative therapies, and so I thought we should talk a little bit about that. Now, many people believe that there are better options using holistic methods or other alternative therapy choices. What are some of the common problems that people face when exploring those options, and how does your uh, office help with that? Well, I'm a big proponent of integrative medicine. I, I personally have worked um, in hospitals before that had a huge integrative medicine department. I've worked with naturopaths, mind-body medicine people, acupuncturists, um, really large, well-equipped pastoral care departments. And I, I think that this country is too trigger-happy with medications. Every single medication has side effects. And often there are a lot of very effective um, naturopathic treatments that can help with symptom control without a lot of the side effects of medications. We have a huge problem in this country with polypharmacy of the elderly. Um, if people are on over four medications, they are at high risk for um, having interactions between those medications, um, having symptoms that might cause them to fall or have poor balance. Um, there are all kinds of problems associated with being on too many medications. So if you can take something natural without side effects that, um, that will give you oftentimes better symptom control, why not do it? Um, your body works so hard to detoxify a lot of the medications that go, go in. For instance, um, older people sometimes have problems with depression and anxiety as their body starts falling apart. So it's much uh, healthier probably to get them in some support groups to, to have someone come alongside and just uh, work through some meditative exercises, some mind-body medicine, things that can help with acute episodes of anxiety rather than just giving them a pill that could have side effects that could harm them. I also think diet is a huge overlooked um, integrative approach that can decrease symptom control. People that have a lot of chronic inflammatory pain can be helped so much by getting rid of um, grains in their diet. Um, right now the American diet just has so many chemicals and so many things that cause chronic inflammatory diseases and then medications are being um, given to people that have really serious side effects for um, chronic inflammation. Um, there's also acupuncture for pain control. Um, 
chiropractors are wonderful practitioners of mind-body medicine, um, and I've just worked with so many really fine chiropractors that help people avoid surgery, help them with exercise programs to restore spinal alignment, and um, and just hook them in with really good nutritionists and um, supplements that improve the nutritional quality of their body and helps them um, boost their um, their immunity. One thing that almost all my clients, I suggest that they they go on over the age of 50 is probiotics. 90% of your immune system comes from your GI tract. So if you're on a really good quality probiotic a couple times a day, your chances of um, coming down with any kind of infection, um, which could be potentially lethal in the um, senior population, goes way, way, way down. Probiotics restore good gut flora and um, boost your immune system more than anything. Fish oil, a good multivitamin that's from a reputable company. All of these things just help people feel so much better, have less pain, there are no side effects, and, and it's great. The one thing I would caution is that when you are on any naturopathic supplements, you always have to tell your your um, internist, your family doctor about these because there are a few supplements that will interfere with uh, medications. So when you go to the hospital, you not only have to tell people what medications you're on, but also what supplements you're on because some supplements will interfere with um, some of the other medications. Oh, okay, right. And I was going to say, too, you know, when you talked about depression, there's so many medications on the market right now that list depression as a side effect. So as you kind of uh that kind of just over uh induces it I think or I don't know what the exact word there I'm losing a train of thought but yeah it's it's amazing that the side effects sometimes are even worse than the cure. Oh yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean people think even something as simple as Tylenol is very benign there's no problem but for older people that have chronic um, arthritic pain um they start popping extra strength Tylenol, that can be toxic to your liver. A person can't live without a liver. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard. Well, now how does a patient advocacy group like yours assist with uh, long-term care options, let's say, especially, you know, we have not just the elderly too, but uh, many uh, special needs uh, patients uh, are going to require some sort of long-term assistance, long-term care, and in nursing homes or uh, special needs uh, situations. And what kind of uh, benefits and uh, help can you bring to that situation? Well, a couple of different things. One thing, our company has been working for years on developing really positive um, relationships with quality, skilled care, senior living communities, um, assisted living communities, memory care um, communities, so that when someone needs a referral in one of the better places, we can sometimes leverage um, uh, a little bit of pressure to get people to move to the front of the line. Um, the skill care, long-term skill care companies um, out there that really provide quality care are becoming um, fewer and farther behind. I mean, they're under incredible pressure um, to function um, from a financial perspective, and all of them have to take some Medicaid patients, but they guard those Medicaid beds 
very, very carefully and save them for the people that they've had in their communities for a long time um, on self-pay because no uh, skilled nursing facility can survive on having too many Medicaid um, patients. Medicaid only reimburses about $140 a day of um, skilled care, and at that level of care, there's no facility that can can make it on having too many patients that they're only getting $140 a day. It costs way more than that to, to provide nursing and care, um, nursing assistant care, and all of the, the back, the other services, the food and the treatments and everything. It's just a really low reimbursement rate. Um, so what we see a lot of times is people go to rehab from the hospital is a way that the hospital can help uh, assure that these patients are not going to be um, coming back into the hospital within 30 days, um, in which case the hospital will get a red flag by Medicare and get lower reimbursement the following year if they have too many 30-day readmissions. So a lot of people are being sent to um, rehab when maybe they could um, do just as well if not better, at home with the right support and the right therapies. Um, it's, it's really important to us that we have all of our clients in quality facilities, and those facilities see us as a referral source, so they're highly motivated to give really um, top-notch quality care to people that we refer them because they want us to keep on referring them. It's kind of a prestige thing that our, our company um, refers to a particular area. Right. Right. Now, in smaller communities around the United States, a lot of the uh, nursing facilities are, in fact, owned by the hospital groups. Is that necessarily a good thing, do you think, or is it uh, something that uh, patients really need to be concerned about? Well, yes. If a skilled nursing um, facility is owned by the hospital, the hospital um, is um, getting higher reimbursement rates. So um, there are a lot of uh, collaborations going on out there accountable care organizations, um, networks that are joining together, and it's all to make the company more financially sustainable. So they're getting into this um, to make more money because hospitals are struggling right now, and they know that um, with the rising numbers of um, seniors in our society, there's it's, it's going to be a huge, huge thing. In the Chicagoland area, we see multiple, multiple um, memory care um, communities going up all the time. It's a big money-making thing. The trend in modern health care is for less of the care being done in hospitals and more of it being done in the community and long-term options. So that's really causing a lot of growth in the home care community as well as uh, senior living communities. So uh, home care is probably preferable to uh, um, a senior living community or it depends upon really the situation involved? Well, home care, and people get home care and home health care um, confused. Home health care involves a skilled nurse that um, insurance can pay for skilled um, duties. But home care itself, those are nurses' aides or home health aides. Uh, generally, they're high school graduates. Um, most of them are from other countries. Um, the home care 
agencies um, generally charge about $25 an hour, and they pay the home health aides about $12 an hour. And um, the home health aides are mostly companions. And um, if we bring physical therapy in to teach people how to do physical therapy at home, then the home health aides can get people up and walk them up and down the hall. Um, 24-hour-a-day home health aides are somewhere in the vicinity of about $6,000 a month. Now, skilled nursing care, um, if people need long-term support, skilled care is going to cost about eleven dollars to $12,000 a month. So um, most people would much prefer to stay in their own home with um, home companions that can help them with whatever things they're struggling with. And um, if the home is safe and um, people generally are happier, live longer, um, don't get malnourished, don't have the falls, if they can stay in their own home as long as possible, I do think that that's a, a preferable um, way to go, not only financially, but emotionally, physically, um, socially, and, and everything. Yeah, that sounds like a great option. Now, your, uh, your group, North Shore Patient Advocates, is based in Chicago. Um, can anyone in the United States call for your advice, or is there a national database for finding advocacy groups in different areas? Sure. We, um, we take calls from family members around the country all the time. I just got off the phone a few minutes ago with um, a daughter. Her, her father is in the Chicago area, and he's starting to develop some problems, and she really wants the peace of mind knowing that a nurse advocate is here who can um, be here in her place because she can't. She lives in Florida. And so um, quite often we will work for adult children in other states who have um, parents who have chosen to stay in the Chicago area for whatever reason, and, um, and they want to stay in their own home as long as possible. And it can be done with the right support. If you have a nurse advocate, if you have a private professional advocate that can do all those things that normally um, the, the families daughter usually um, does. Most of the home care um, decisions are being made by women in this country, and um, they families do 70 to 80 percent of the, the senior care, the extra things that seniors need as they, they age. And for people that can't do that because of proximity or they're too busy with their job, or just the high level of maintenance um, needs of the parent, it's a very good option to hire um, a private advocate. Now, how about for uh, patients who, uh, or for uh, people who live in other states and their families in other states? Well, there are two big databases that I would refer people to. One is the Association of Professional Healthcare Advocates, it has a great comprehensive um, database of all of the <coughs> registered um, advocates. Um, that belong to the APHA in every state in the country. So you can just go on the APHA website and put in your zip code, and they'll show you who the advocates are in the area, and you can call the advocate in that area and inquire about their business model and how they um, manage these things. So um, and the other one is the National Association of Healthcare Advocacy Consultants, NAHAC. And they also have a database. You can also find um, advocates in different areas of the country on that website. And um, a lot of people just Google, 
Google uh, private professional patient advocate in their particular community, um, say Chicago, and our company generally comes up at the top of the list, um, and so people quite often just just find me by Googling me. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, we'll put links to everything, uh, both of those websites and also your website, of course, on the page for this podcast. Oh, thank you. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, no that. problem. So people need to find out the information. What would you say, finally, to parents who might be facing some medical decisions for their special needs child and they're, they're worried about making the wrong choices or not understanding fully what they can do to make sure that they're going to get the right help? Well, it's always helpful to have, um, have um, a private professional advocate that has expertise in the area that the child struggles with. There are some really, really good websites for learning more about the particular special need. I always go to the National Institute of Health um, website, NIH.org. That's a, a wonderful, comprehensive um, government-based uh, website that um, gives information on, on all different kinds of medical um, illnesses. Usually the parents are the absolute best advocates, but if they're needing help with getting things specifically or dealing with the insurance company, um, if they have the funds to be able to help um, support their child through having a private advocate, um, then um, that would be a great, great option for um, them to bring an advocate in to do the things that they don't like to do or are too frustrating for them to do, can use their um, their sources in different hospitals. In the Chicagoland area, we have great uh, contacts in all the major hospitals so that we can call them up and say, hey, who's the best person to deal with this or that? And um, children's hospitals in major cities are also great referral sources. You can you can contact their community relations department and and ask for information that you're looking for, whether it's um, schools or educational resources or anything. Hospitals generally have really really comprehensive resources to help. Uh, my thanks again to Terry Dreher of North Shore Patient Advocacy for taking the time to talk to us about medical issues and patient rights. And as I said, we'll have links to those websites that she mentioned during the interview posted on this podcast webpage, specialparentsconfidential.com. And as we always do at this point, a reminder that if you like this episode of Special Parents Confidential or any episode we've done, please share our site with your friends, family, and all your connections on social media. You can do this easily with the social media buttons on our website. Just like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, add us on Google+, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Pinterest, StumbleUpon, Reddit, or any of the other social media sites that you prefer. You can also sign up for our email service and have new posts and podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox the moment they're available online. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Pod Directory as a free subscription. And if you have a moment, feel free to write a review about our podcast. Anything you can do to help spread the word about Special Parents Confidential will help us to be able to continue these podcasts. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>